Good morning, everybody. I hope everyone had a great Christmas, and welcome to Shelby Christian Church. If you could, stand up and worship with us.
Genesis 3, what is a king to do? An angel of the Lord walks into his king's palace, and sees him there in a corner. And he says, <clears throat> there you are, sir. And Jesus replies, is something the matter? Sir, no, sir. It's just that I didn't see you at your father's right hand this morning. And Jesus says, yes, there's much work to be done. 
And this angel says, give me a mission, sir, and I'll handle it. And Jesus replies, that won't be necessary. And Jesus takes the crown off of his head, places it on a mantle, turns and walks away from his crown. This angel, puzzled, confused, doesn't say anything, but accompanies his king anyway. This this, this angel says, uh, oh, my mic was out. I didn't even know that. <laughs> this angel says, <clears throat> sir, if you don't mind me asking, where are you going to? And Jesus smiles and he says, I'm going to go down there. Down there, sir? Yes, I'm going to go down there. And the angel looks down. They're just dirt, sir. Yes. I know. Sinful and wicked since the garden. Yes, I know. Why? Because I love them. Because I'm willing to walk away from my glory for them. I'm going to show them a better way. This king who is fully God becomes fully a man to show us the way, the light, and the truth takes on a punishment that none of us could ever bear only so that we can find redemption in his blood in his body that was broken and beaten for our benefit he already had a palace he had his kingdom that is what a king must do for the people that he loves when we come to this table to remember this sacrifice, ask yourself, what would your king do for you to make sure that he could see you eternally with his father? What a sacrifice and what a king. Will you pray with me? Holy Father God, what a king you are, that you would be willing to take on a sacrifice that this world cannot bear nor can it comprehend for your body that was broken and beaten and spat on all for our benefit may we remember the earthly sacrifices and what you had to endure and may we be reminded of that constantly may that give us encouragement for what we face in this world the trials and tribulations that we are not immune to father that there is hope that while we are still breathing the air that you put in our lungs gives us an opportunity constantly, dear Lord, to follow after your son. And may we be reminded of his blood that was spilled, which represents the new covenant, which gives us an opportunity, continually redeeming us. Father, when we come to this table, may we humble ourselves with great humility and remember what it is you have done for us. What a king you are, that you would be willing to give up your one and only love for us in your son's most glorious and precious name in the name above all names the king of kings in the name of Jesus amen
Good morning, church. It's so good to see all of you here. I have to admit, I'm a little nervous. It's been seven years since I got up in front of a church and preached. And so this morning, I got a lot of, a lot of nerves going and so on. So I'm going to try and slow down, take my time, and hopefully everything will work out all right. Uh, I want to start off with this. This week, Carrie and I uh, went down and helped with uh, International Disaster Emergency Services, or IDS. And we went down to Bowling Green first, uh, where we were assigned to go. And if you don't mind, show the pictures up there. Um, we um, Bowling Green was a lot had a lot more disaster than we thought. If we go to the next slide, maybe. Um, in Bowling Green, there was a whole lot more destruction than it looked. Uh, that used to be a Sonic, I believe. Uh, if we go to the next picture, um, these are just pictures off in the distance of different things that we just saw. We were, we were, Carrie and I were so moved as we, we would drive through and you'd see a place that'd be completely destroyed. You'd go the next block and there was nothing. Then you'd go another block and you'd see more destruction. And once we got to Bowling Green, we, um, we were assigned with a group from uh, Valley Mills Christian Church in Indianapolis. They had a whole team that they sent up. And the first place we went was in Hartford, Kentucky. Now that's out in the middle of nowhere. I thought I lived out in the middle of nowhere, but they really live out in the middle of nowhere. And that's the first place we went. That's Daniel's house. And his house, his yard was a complete mess. And you can see over there on the side um, where the... He used to have a barn and a garage and it was completely wiped out. And his yard was just terribly full of debris everywhere. But we eventually got, we got all that cleaned up and we went across the street um, to Austin's house. Uh, Daniel was a uh, Vietnam veteran from, from the army and across the street from him was a Marine named Austin. Now, you can see Austin's property up there on the right there. Um, Austin suffers from terrible PTSD. Now, this is looking from Austin's yard over to Daniel's. You can see where Daniel's is all cleaned up and Austin's is just beginning. But Austin suffered from such terrible PTSD that when the storm hit, he was reliving memories. His entire roof of his house was taken off. And he had been staying in the house with no roof for over a week. He just didn't have the gumption to be able to call and say, I need help. I need help. And so when the team got there, they were able to tarp his entire roof of his house. All of his windows were all blown out. And it was a terrible scene. He didn't want anybody in the house, although rain had been pouring in his house for over a week. And when he found out Carrie and I have a son who's a Marine, he allowed us to come into his house and we helped him clean up his kitchen and try to make, make some sense out of what was left inside his house. And because of the gifts that you give through the Together Funds, we were able to take gift cards down there and give to Austin and other people. Understand how important our Together Fund is. That enables us to step up when people are in need. And after spending all that time at Austin's house, we were called to again go to jo- I mean Joanne's house, which is here. Joanne lived an hour away in Olinton. And if you see those two trees there, they fell inward and went into the middle of the house. Now that root system there was about two and a half feet taller than me. So those were big trees that fell into her house and it split it in half. Joanne says she was in the house and she heard the storm coming and she was walking out of her living room. Something hit her on the back and pushed her to the ground. And that was that tree. And she was lucky she lived through that. She was trapped and her family came in and got her. But when we got to the to the scene, the tree was sitting through the house. And then fortunately they had to condemn the house. So they weren't able to go back into it. 
So she too is an example of how we're able to step in and help with our Together offering. If you haven't given Together offering this year, I would definitely encourage you to do that. This is such an important thing as we raise our money for missions for the entire year through this offering. But now we go on. Let's go on and talk about Christmas. Now, of course, everybody celebrated Christmas yesterday. I hope you had a wonderful day celebrating, hopefully, with your family and opening gifts and enjoying your time together. Um, but there once, I remember hearing Paul Harvey. You remember Paul Harvey? If you're too young to remember Paul Harvey, you can Google him later. Um, Paul Harvey used to say the rest of the story. Well, I heard him tell a story on the radio one time. He talked about there once was this good, upright man who really loved his family. But he didn't believe in any of that incarnation stuff. He didn't believe that God became a man and he couldn't believe the, the whole idea of Christmas. It just didn't make sense to him. And he was too honest to pretend otherwise. But he just could not swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. I'm truly sorry to distress you, he says to his wife, but I'm not going to go to church with you this Christmas Eve. He said, I feel like a hypocrite. So I'd rather stay home, but I'll wait up for you. So he stayed, and they went. Shortly after they drove away in the car, snow began to fall heavily. And he went to the window to watch these big snowflakes get heavier and heavier. And then he went back to his fireside chair and began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he is startled by this sound. Boom, boom, boom. So what in the world is that? Must be some kids throwing snowballs at my window. So he goes to his big plate glass window in the front of his house and he sees a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They had been caught in this snowstorm and in a desperate search for shelter, They were trying to get into his house through that window. Well, he couldn't let the poor creatures lie there and freeze to death, he thought. He remembered that the barn that he had is where his kids stabled their horses. And he remembered the barn would be a warmer place at least. So he put on his galoshes and his heavy coat and his gloves. And he runs outside and he opens these huge barn doors that he has. He turns on the light and he waits for the birds to fly in. But the birds don't fly in. They stay in in the snow. He figured that he would try and entice them with a little food. So he goes into the house and he gets a loaf of bread and he goes and he starts breaking it up and tries to make a line into the barn. Hopefully these birds would follow along and go into the barn. But they didn't. And so he said, I I can shoo them in. So he rushes up to the birds and he tries to shoo them in to the barn. But all they do is scatter back into the snow. And he realized, they must be afraid of me. I'm such a strange, terrifying creature to them. If only I could think of some way to let them know they could trust me. How? Any move I make frightens them and confuses them. They just would not follow. And they would not be shooed because they were scared of him. If only I could be a bird myself, he thought. If only I could be a bird and mingle with them and speak their language and tell them not to be afraid. Show them the way to the safe warm barn but I'd have to be one of them so they could hear and understand and at that moment the bells of the church rang symbolizing it was Christmas and he stood there listening to the bells 
And at that moment, the meaning of Christ hit him. And he sank to his knees in the snow. This morning we're talking about the wise men. Let's read the scripture this morning from Matthew chapter 2 if you want to follow along in your Bibles this morning. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he asked them, where is the Christ to be born? In Bethlehem, Judea, they required, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be my shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Now let's break down what we just read this morning. First of all, we know that Joseph and Mary had to travel to Bethlehem because the emperor, Augustus Caesar, had ordered a census to be taken. And not only did this this census require people to register, they had to go home to where their ancestral home was. And for Joseph, this was Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is the city of David. It is the place where David the king had been born. And also it was called the house of bread. So it's not uncommon to think about the fact that Jesus said, I am the bread. He's also referring to Bethlehem, the house of bread, the very place where he and David were born. Now, Mary and Joseph are forced to take a 90-mile trip. Now, remember, they live up in Nazareth, which is above Samaria. And so they wouldn't have gone through Samaria. So they would have taken the long route. They'd have crossed over the Jordan and come all the way down and then back off over the Jordan again. So it would have been more like over 100 miles for them to have traveled. Now, part of the question becomes, why didn't Joseph just leave Mary there? My imagination tells me that most likely, since Mary was probably seen as an outcast by this time in her own town. Because remember, she had returned from seeing Elizabeth pregnant. And at first, Joseph said, child's not mine, child's not mine. And remember, he was secretly going to divorce her. So there was probably some animosity about Mary being there to begin with. And so Joseph takes Mary with him to go to Bethlehem. All because we know it was ordained by God to do so. So the question becomes, why did the wise men go to Jerusalem first? Well, most likely part of it was because of diplomatic reasons. I mean, they are envoys probably from another country. They're coming in. They need to go see the king of the land in which they're searching. But also they probably did not have 
the prophecy of Micah 5, which tells us about the fact of where the Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Scripture says that magi from the east. Now the Greek word for magi is magio, which is used to describe people who acted in very strange ways were captivated by astrology and spells and incandations and dressed in very bizarre manners. The Latin word is magic, which we get magic from or magician from. Now the Greek historian Herodias used this word to refer to one of the tribes of the Medes and the Persians. And the Magi of ancient Persia were a religious caste who was involved in divination and astrology and astronomy. So these truly were, in a sense, wise men. Now the art of the early Christian church shows the Magi wearing Persian robes. Now all we know is scripture tells us that they came from the east. Now there are a lot of different theories as about where they came from. One of the, one of them is from Nabithia, which you see is Duma. If you go to the next slide. Another is Sheba. Another name is Sheba. Another is even Babylon. And some say they even came as far as China. Some say the wise men didn't even know each other, but found each other along the way following the star. It's my belief that they came from Persia. Because you remember in the Old Testament, the Jews were exiled to Assyria and then to Babylon, which was later conquered by the Medes and the Persians. And the prophet Daniel, you remember Daniel from the Old Testament? Remember Daniel, the the one that was able to interpret the dreams, the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown into the fiery furnace? Remember Daniel, who was thrown into the lion's den? Well, Daniel was in fact known as Ragmai, or the chief magi. And these magi served under Daniel and his Jewish friends, Under the reigns of Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshar, Darius, and Cyrus. So they would have heard Daniel tell them about the one true God. And if these magi had the prophecies of Daniel, they would have seen Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 in 925, he reveals that from the beginning of the rebuilding of Jerusalem until the coming of the Messiah would be 483 years. Now, in history, we don't know the exact date as to when the rebuilding of Jerusalem began, but we know the wise men most likely would have known that and known 483 years later when the star suddenly appeared that it must be a Messiah. And especially if they had Numbers 24-17. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. So God blesses them with a special star to show them the way. Now some ancient writings say that they were kings. Because it goes back to Isaiah chapter 40, where it talks about the fact that kings would appear before the Messiah bringing gold and incense. Tertullian, the ancient Christian historian, had said this. But the Isaiah 40 prophecy really deals more with the second coming of Jesus, not the first coming of Jesus. Now we assume that there were three wise men, right? I mean, have you ever seen a nativity scene with more than three wise men? No, you don't, do you? You always see three wise men. And why do we assume there were three? Because they had three different gifts. Now, ancient Christian history tells us their names were Belteshar, Gesture, and Melkor. And the Catholic Church even reveres them and has them interned, supposedly, at the Cathedral of Cologne in Germany. And that is the actual 
place where they're supposedly interned. Now these magi go to King Herod. Now I don't know what you know about King Herod, but we know that he ruled Israel between 40 and 4 B.C. Herod came from Adumea, which was south of Israel. The land had been forced into Judaism during Herod's grandfather's days. And most did not consider that Idumeans as actually being Jewish. Now, Herod was a very strange man. He was a shrewd politician and a great builder. I mean, he refurbished the whole temple of Israel. He redid the city of Jerusalem. He built Masada. He built Caesarea. And he built all these great things. He was a wonderful builder. But he also had a very dark side. He married 10 different women, had 15 different children, then turned around and killed a lot of them because he thought they were a danger to his throne. So when the wise men show up, proclaiming that they're following some Messiah that's to been bored, Herod is almost panicked. So he calls together all the scribes and the teachers of the law and he asks the question, where is this Messiah to be born? And then Herod finds out Bethlehem. He shares this with the Magi and he tells them, come back and tell me so I can come worship him too. Herod had no intention of going back and worship anybody but himself. Now the star... Now, I have read three books about the wise men in the last two weeks. I've heard all the different stories about how the star could have happened. Some say that the star was nothing more than a comet that went by the earth at that time. Some say it is the alignment of Jupiter, Mars, and Venus. If the three of them come together, it would be very bright. Some say it was a supernova that happened to explode, you know, Hundreds of thousands of years ago and just reached the earth. Who knows? All I can tell you is I believe that God supernaturally produced a star for these magi to follow. So we don't really know who the magi were. We don't really know where they came from. We don't even really know how many they were. Why not? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us this information. And I'm not sure that I understand why he doesn't, except for the fact I think he wants us to see in this passage one thing. The Magi saying, we have come to worship him. That's the main story that Matthew is trying to tell. We have come to worship. Although they may have been strange men that came who dressed weird, They were definitely wise men. Perhaps they saw that star that night in Babylon hundreds of miles away and had to travel several months to bring belated birthday gifts. Now my wife would say that's just like a man. But they came, it says, to the house. Now a lot of the, some of the Protestant church and the Catholic church celebrate something called Epiphany. That is 12 days after Jesus is born. They celebrate the fact that the wise men came to Jesus and would become the first Gentiles to receive Christ. Now we know that the wise men could only have come eight days after Jesus was born. But how do we know that? Because on the eighth day, Jesus was taken to the temple to be circumcised. And in order to have that happen, the family would have to give a sacrifice. And we know that Joseph and Mary only gave two turtle doves. That is what the poorest people gave. If they had gold, they wouldn't have just gotten given two turtle doves. You see the reasoning. Now, don't blame Hallmark. Don't go throw away your nativity sets. I mean, I like to see the wise men there the night Jesus was born. I, you know, we all grew up with that. That's just kind of, we like to think about it and that's okay. Don't throw away those old Christmas cards. But none of the gifts 
that are given to Jesus seem to be practical. I mean, what's a baby going to do with gold? So I'd maybe try and chew on it. Especially Jesus, who just came from heaven where the streets are paved with gold. So they gave Jesus pavement. But you understand that gold was not a normal baby gift. It was not even a baby gift for the wealthy elite. It was a gift given to a king. So the gold shows us that Jesus was a king. Now we also see they give the gift of frankincense. Now frankincense comes from the resin of the desert tree in India. The tree was imported to Israel and cultivated in the Judean desert, an oasis of in Judea near the Dead Sea. The incense is made by cutting into the bark of the tree, letting the sap ooze out and dry, and then collecting the resin. What's interesting about this gift is that frankincense was used in temple worship. They, the chief priests would burn the incense as a fragrant aroma to the Lord. And we know that one time a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, he would light the incense, and he would offer the sacrifice on Yom Kippur for the sins of the people Israel. Hebrews 7 says, Jesus is a high priest unlike any other because he would take the sins of the people away once and for all. Now, the final gift was myrrh. Like frankincense, myrrh comes from a tree that was most likely imported from Somalia. Myrrh also forms on the bark of the tree, but it cannot be hurried along by cutting the bark like it is in frankincense. The sap must be allowed to slowly sleep out, then harden into a brown-red substance. And the resin has a sweet Smell, but a very bitter taste. Now this gift would never be given to a baby because it was used to embalm someone at death. We see that in John, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus used myrrh and other spices to anoint Jesus before he went into the tomb. So from the beginning of his life, it is made clear that Jesus was born to die. Or as he would say in Mark 10, I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. I read a story years ago about a father and a son who were very, very close and enjoyed adding valuable pieces of art to their collection. There were priceless works by Picasso, by Monet, by Van Gogh. And many others adorned the walls of their family estate. The widowed elder man looked upon satisfaction at his son because he became an experienced art collector himself. The son's trained eye and sharp business mind caused the father to just beam with pride as they dealt with art collectors from all over the world. As winter approached, war began to engulf the world. And the young man left to serve his country. After only a few short months, his father received a telegram that his son was missing in action. The art collector awaited for more news, fearing that he would never see his son again. Within days, his fears were confirmed. The young man had died while rushing a fellow soldier to a medic. Distraught and lonely, the old man faced the upcoming Christmas season with anguish and sadness. The joy of the season, a season that he and his son had always looked so forward to, would visit his house no longer. 
On Christmas morning, a knock on the door awakened the depressed older man. As he walked to the door, the masterpieces on the walls only reminded him that his son was not coming home. As he opened the door, he was greeted by a soldier with a large package in his hand. He introduced himself to the man and said, I was a friend of your son's. I was the one he was carrying to the medic when he was shot and killed. He says, I have something for you. May I come in for a few moments? As the two of them began to talk, the soldier told her how the man's son had told everyone of his and his father's great art collections. Overcome with emotion, the man said how much he appreciated his son. He says, I have a gift for you. As the man unwrapped the package, the paper gave way to reveal a portrait of the man's son. Though the world would never consider it a piece of genius, the older man was overwhelmed looking at the face of his son again. He thanked the soldier and promised to hang the picture above his fireplace. True to his word, a few hours later, after the soldier had departed, the old man got back up on his feet and he went and he cleared out hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of paintings from the mantle above the fireplace and placed this picture of his son. He spent that Christmas gazing at the gift that he had been given. During the weeks that followed, the man found out more about his son. He had saved many soldiers off the battlefield. And the boy's life would live on because of all the men that he had touched. The painting of his son became his most prized possession. Far eclipsing any interest in any of the famous pieces he had throughout the home. He told his neighbors it was the greatest gift he had ever received. Several months later, the old man became ill and passed away. And the art world was in anticipation. Unmindful of the man's story about his son, but in his honor, those paintings were to be auctioned off on Christmas Day. The day arrived and all the art collectors around the world gathered to bid on these world-famous paintings. Dreams would be fulfilled this day. Greatness would be achieved, as many would claim, I have the greatest collection. The auction began with a painting that was not on any of the museum's list. It was the painting of the young man's son. The auctioneer asked for opening bid. The room was silent. Who would open with a hundred dollars, he says. Minutes passed. No one spoke. From the back of the room, somebody says, Who cares about that painting? It's only a painting of his son. Let's get on with the great pieces. No, we have to sell this one first, the auctioneer said. Now who will take the son? No one spoke. Finally, an old man in the back of the room stood up and said, I knew the father and the son. I will take the painting, but all I have is $10. Doctor said, won't anyone bid any higher? He said, going once, going twice, sold for $10. Cheers filled the room in anticipation. Now we can get on with it. Now we can bid on the great paintings. The auctioneer looked at the audience and announced that the auction was over. There was stunned silence in the room. They demanded, what do you mean? We came here not for some painting of some old man's son. We came for all these beautiful pieces. The auctioneer replied, it's very simple. According to the will of the father, whoever takes the son gets it all. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? 
A father whose greatest joy came from his son gave his son up to be sacrificed for us. The ultimate gift you could have received this Christmas wasn't gold, wasn't frankincense, wasn't myrrh, wasn't a ring or a new car or a new iPhone. The greatest gift you could receive is the Son. That is the essence of the story of Christmas. Whoever has the Son has it all. The Bible puts it like this. God has given us eternal life. And this life is His Son. And who does not have the Son does not have life. When I was a kid, I was a bit of a stinker. Okay, Christmas would come and I wanted to know what I was getting. In fact, when I was 10 one Sunday morning... I mean, one Christmas morning, I got up after Santa had come, and I went and I opened everyone's gifts. Then I got tape and tried to put them all back together. But I remember one Christmas when I was eight years old, I wanted a Tonka fire truck. Now, if those of you that know about Tonka, Tonka used to be a big toy among kids. They used to have a commercial where an elephant would stand on a Tonka truck. I always managed to break mine. I never understood that. But anyway... So I wanted a Tonka fire engine. I'd asked for this Tonka fire engine for months. And about a couple of weeks before Christmas, my mom started putting gifts under the tree. And one night I got up in the middle of the night and I opened it up and I saw that I got the fire truck. I was so excited. I began to dream about playing with that fire truck. I couldn't wait to unwrap that fire truck. I knew that fire truck was mine. And isn't that the way we should look at heaven? We all have that gift of unwrapping heaven one day. It is ours already. It is a promised gift to us. We have heaven. Christmas means that Christ has given us salvation. As the Bible says in 2 Peter 3.13, But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Don't leave this morning without having the Son. For whoever has the Son has it all. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Whoever has the Son has it all. Don't go from this place this morning without taking the Son with you. Because without the Son, you could have all the world's riches, but you really have nothing. Let's pray. Father God, we do praise you this morning. And we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you that your son came to this earth, that he lived among us, that he walked and knows every, every single temptation that we face. He knows it and he overcame it. Father, I thank you that your son was willing to walk among us just like the first story so that we would understand you and how much you really love us. Oh, Father, I cannot say how much we love you. And I pray this morning that no one leaves this place without having your son. Father, send your spirit to us this morning that we can feel your presence in this room. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
Continue to have a great week this coming new year. I remember Mark Jones will be with us next week as he comes and preaches to us. I just pray that God's Spirit goes with you as you go out this week. Remember, love God, love people, and go change the world. Have a good week.